Welcome to episode 36 of the Slow Spin Society podcast. As always, or not as always, uh, it's me, Fabian, with my co-host, Paul. Hi, Paul. What's up? And we're here with Ashton Lambie. How's it going? But before we go into the main show, if you want to hear more about the marathon in my city, Paris-Roubaix, or the all-new Specialized Crux, among some other things, make sure to check out the extended version. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts directly or by going to Slow Spin Society podcast on patreon.com again welcome everyone uh it's been a week without you fabian yes but you're coming back and you're coming back with someone <laughs> yes, um, <kind> of. <laughs> ashton welcome to the show and uh we are super glad to have you here if people don't know you can you just uh present you real quick oh gosh uh Yeah, I mean, I'm Ashton Lambie. Um, I race gravel and track professionally and live in an RV in Montana with my partner, Chris Birch. Um, I've raced track for three or four years now, and I would say my biggest claim to fame is uh, the sub four ride in the individual pursuit this summer. Yeah, that was a few months back. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and that's why I contacted you for. I saw the live, I saw the video, I saw the bike, I saw everything. I was like, "Wow, I need to talk to that man." Uh, it it sounds it sounds awesome, and it's clearly a crazy performance you did there. So, congrats! First, congrats Thanks, man. to that. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Can you tell us how did you get into track cycling? Were you just only into gravel before? Yeah, I mean, so I lived uh, down in Lawrence, Kansas for a few years and worked at Sunflower Bike Shop, which is like uh, kind of one, I would say one of a handful of shops that's like really push or really was kind of a pioneer in the early American gravel scene. Um, and so I worked there for four years um, and raced gravel like locally for most of those and you know did pretty well but i would always look around at the gravel races and like the guys that win those you know you're talking like ian boswell peter stetna like world tour guys you know they're all like really skinny and pretty wiry um and i've always been like a little bit bigger build like a little thicker and i've always like it's been pretty easy for me to put on muscle And so I was, you know, always kind of wondering like, oh, I wonder if there's like, you know, a little bit more power-based discipline I could be good at. Um, and so I heard from my buddy who worked at the shop that had a fixed, he had a surly steamroller. So like a oh. fixed gear <laughs> classic. I mean, those things are cool as hell, man. I love those bikes. Um, and he was like, oh, there's a grass track in town. Um, and so, yeah, I went there and, uh, busted a couple track records and won a bunch of events and then you know kind of <laughs> kind of spiraled from there um you know doing like some domestic racing in the u.s uh went to did some international the uci races at t-town and then that would have been i rode, rode the grass track the summer of 2016 and then did my won my first national championship the next year in 2017 things moved really fast for you yeah man They usually do. It's crazy. <laughs> They usually do. I'm a fast guy. Everything under four minutes. <laughs> yeah. So for that record, the individual pursuit record, okay, I'm not going to even bother trying to say the name of the city. Maybe you Aguas Calientes. Yeah. A perfect. Perfect. So because <laughs> we had an episode uh, on the hour record and I, I just butchered that. I feel really bad. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah so you managed to cycle a total of four kilometers in less than four minutes three hours mm -hmm. uh three sorry three minutes 59 seconds and 93 milliseconds which is insane is there and is there a reason that you went out to do this specific record or did you just i mean of course you trained for it and everything but we know that the hour record is like the like kind of the golden standard of individual records and in track cycling is there a, yeah. a certain reason you went with this one instead uh 
Um, well, I mean, I've always, you know, I've gotten, I had the record three times before that. Um, and so like, I think I got a lot of notoriety when I broke it initially in 2018. Cause that, at that point, the record was like 410 and some change. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, you know, that had been there since like 2011. And so I think a lot of people thought that was just going to stay there for a long time. Um, and then, I mean, it's just been this like golden age of individual pursuiting where me and Philippe Ogana have dropped it, you know, 10 yeah. seconds in three years. Like what the shit, dude? Um, it's crazy. Yeah. And so, I mean, for me, it was kind of one of those where we didn't know, because initially, um, after Berlin World Championships in 2020, um, when Hubois bike was a little bit more active, we were going to go to Bolivia um, and do, you know, try to do the sub four pursuit. Uh, we had a couple guys that were going to take a crack at the hour. We were going to take a crack at the team pursuit. Um, but then like the Bolivian government had a coup and COVID happened. And so like, we didn't end up going to Bolivia. Um, Hmm. and so it was still kind of in the back of my mind. And then the opportunity just presented itself and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I didn't really have any other big things on the calendar other than like a a gravel season, you know, for some of the summer, um, which I still got to, you know, we still got to go do a couple of those and, uh, maybe do some of the shorter events like we went to iceland you know a few weeks before um which was fantastic and you know so that was like my big thing and then world championships coming up that's like the only other big thing big track event for the year but yeah it was it was really the opportunity to be the first person to go sub four like you know, there's only one person that gets to do it. Yeah, it gets to do it for the first time, right? So this, right. This is kind of like the Ashton Lambie record then. I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure someone's going to beat it at some point. Like, it'll just keep dropping. For sure. But it's nice to be yeah. the first one to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but riding an average of 60k an hour is already hard enough. So yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone is gonna take a, sh- a shot at that soon. No, like right now with our podcast, we have like this this thing where we do monthly challenges for the people following the podcast and who are in the Discord and everything. And we normally have like a difficult challenge and a more doable challenge. So like last month, the more doable challenge was like I think ride two hundred k in one go, and then the yeah. difficult one was do a no handed wheelie for five seconds. So. I've done then, one of those things. <laughs> I can I can guess which one because no one managed to do the second one. This is the harder difficult, the harder challenge, except for Paul. But dude, I can't even do a regular wheelie. <laughs> no, <same. laughs> I'm making these challenges and I can do neither of them. So I'm like, yeah, just let's make it hard for these guys. But, <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> but and then this month's challenges is the difficult one is to ride uh, to hit a maximum speed of 50k an hour. And so far, I think only one person has managed to do, managed to do it. And here you did 60k for for four minutes straight, basically. Yeah, that's insane. And it's, it's not rapid. like you're doing you're going downhill or anything. No, it's <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's an, just the It's all you, yeah, yeah. The spirit of Merck's flowing through you. Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> um, so I've read a bunch of articles, and so you're gonna tell me if it's true or not, but. I read that at some point you were pushing your max was a thousand and four hundred watts. Uh, I mean, I don't, well, so I don't know if that was my power on the ride because I didn't have a power meter, Mm -hmm. but that's like, that's in the ballpark of like my max sprint power or like my max power. I would do at a start because the hard part is like, um, you know, the max, you don't want your max power to, to actually happen in a pursuit. Like so much of it is more based around torque, um, where it's like, Oh, how quickly can you go from, from zero RPMs to 115? And you have to be able to do that in 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. 115 is your comfy zone. Yeah, that's usually pretty comfy cadence for me. Maybe a little, like, I wouldn't want to put it above 115, but thereabouts. Wow. 
90 is my comfy zone. <laughs> what what ratio were you using during this attempt? Um, I was on a 115 inch gear, so for me that was a 64.15. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, that's heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's a big. It's it's about the same as like a like a 53.13 or 12. Yeah, which is which sounds pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, so, it's a good sprint gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you're in the middle of the action, when you so you've started, you're pushing down the the power, and what's happening inside your head at that moment? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the the standing start technique is very specific. So there's like this whole kind of process that goes with that. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's the pacing because you're having someone stand on the edge of the track, like yelling at you every, every time you go by. So you get a little bit of feedback as far as like how fast you're going, what your times are. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, basically by the last two or three laps out of 16 laps, you're just like, you're just full sprinting. Like, it's not necessarily like you're cramping. It's just there's nothing left in your legs to keep turning over the pedals just have to ignore all of the all of the lactic acid yeah and just thing. like just force yourself just like push pull push pull yeah for a second when you mentioned that there's someone yelling at you i was just imagining like a ra like a random angry person just shouting at you <laughs> as you're cycling you suck <laughs> no <laughs> you bumped my car <laughs> yeah there weren't that many people in the velodrome like I don't know, maybe 30 people total, barely. Was it like a public public thing? Like, could anyone just watch you? Um, Pretty much, yeah. It wasn't, but even with that, you know, there was like, there were a few people that like knew of me, you know, Sean Wallace is like a pretty famous uh, pursuiter um, back in the day. You know, he kind of pioneered altitude tents and a lot of other stuff. And so like, he lives in California and he was like, Oh, I'm just kind of itching for a trip. Like, I'm just going to come down and watch. And so like, you know, he was down there, um, a buddy or an athlete that I coach who lives in Mexico. Like, you know, I, uh, I think he lives in Mexico city, but mm -hmm. he, he came down to watch. Um, so that was cool to get to meet him. And then like, you know, otherwise it was just people that worked at the track or like some of the other masters riders that were down there for world record attempts. And my partner, Chris was there filming, um, you know, just like people that were already there for other reasons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Did it help you to have like an audience? It did. Like, I think, so I don't know if you heard about it, but like I went on the, the first day. So I, the attempt was on Wednesday. Um, and then I tried to do it on Tuesday, but only wrote a 402. So I didn't get the goal I wanted. Um, so coming back from that was really hard. And like, yeah, Chris kind of talked me out of some stuff. Um, you know, just like talked me off a ledge a little bit. I mean, she's, you know, also an incredibly accomplished track racer. Uh, and, you know, she does team pursuit, individual pursuit as well. Um, and so for her to like have been in that space and be able to talk me out of it was really good. But then, I mean, she was doing an Instagram live for zip. And I think there were like 8,000 people on at one point. And I was like, Holy shit, dude. Like I was like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people like really, really pulling for it. You know, it's, it's a big, it's a good motivation. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Got to perform for others and yourself, of course. Yeah, exactly. What's what's the best drink to reward yourself with after you manage to break the record? The best drink? Yeah. Ooh, we went out to a restaurant. Um, so part of the crew that I had down there was uh, this shop called Republica Num Numero Uno. Okay. So they um, and Lemus Luis Enrique. He's like co-owner with Arturo, and he provided a mechanic and like little e-bike for us to hook around town on <laughs> um and so we went out to dinner with them so it was just six of us we had a photographer with us and then me christina the photographer arturo lemus and charlie the mechanic 
And we had some some mezcal down there that was like fucking great, man. <laughs> it was very good. And we stayed out way too late for a very early flight the next day. <laughs> but totally worth it. I mean, it was worth awesome, it for man. Sure. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess after like a four-minute effort, you're not really like super parched to drink, to be like chugging water right afterwards, right? No, not really. Oh, I mean, yeah. I had some water, but... Yeah, because I was I was asking this question as well because I remember that uh, after Victor Campanertz managed to break the our record, I think in 2018, the first first thing he drank was a nice cold Coke. I was, like, I was like, ah, yeah, I can feel that. I probably would do the same thing. <laughs> I would do that after a long ride. Yeah, yeah that would yeah. that hits good for sure, man. Wow. Yeah, the the feeling when you push everything at once on such a small. <laughs> period of time uh yeah i, th I think you, you don't want to drink anything you just want to throw up <laughs> it took me a little bit to not feel like i was going to throw up yeah yeah <laughs> um can you so to arrive to that kind of result can you describe to us what's your training routine like yeah i mean so i'd worked with uh my strength coach Cristela sega at athletic strength institute and we kind of like oh came up with a new or maybe not new but different sort of training paradigm that was really based around like mile running and the specific energy systems um and what you need to do at altitude because like obviously there's less oxygen so it's a much more anaerobic effort versus aerobic um so yeah, we did, it was like this, we called it sort of middle distance training where it was just really low volume, really high intensity, a big focus on time and zones, big focus on gym work. Um, and then, yeah, so it, that was, that was pretty much it. It was about intervals four days a week, gym three days a week. And then one, like I used long ride in quotes because it was usually like a, a, two hour ride, maybe like a two by 20 tempo kind of thing. And that was my endurance ride for the week. And then one day off. Mm. So that already sounds like a lot of stuff to do <laughs> in one week. I mean, it is, but having, you know, if you do a double day, you know, with gym and then say like some 60 second intervals, like that goes by pretty quick. You know, you can be done by noon. Yeah. So since you're kind of, going between long distance uh, events and like shorter distance events such as this what's how do you kind of balance that because i know for track cycling if you're sprinting you have to be pretty you have to have, to have a lot of muscle mass and then if you're doing longer longer distance you're more lean so you're doing kind of both yeah it's a tricky balance uh i would say my body changes a lot like you know between um doing you know base miles and like long distance kind of stuff and then intensity but i think my body also responds really well to like new stimulus and i think most people do um and so you know you kind of get once you start digging into the real anaerobic efforts you get a lot of gains really quickly and then uh, yeah it sort of tapers off like you have to work harder to get less of an improvement um, and so I think switching between those two a lot, not a lot, but like regularly makes a pretty big difference. It's kind of like, yeah, like muscle memory then, right? Like mm -hmm. easy to yeah. switch between them. Wow. Yeah. It's like Christian Bale between movies. Becomes yeah. Well, work. maybe not that extreme. You know, <laughs> I would, I would change like, I think, you know, my lightest in the last year, I might've been like 72 kilos and I was probably closer to like. 78 at the record mm -hmm. you know so you do put on a bit of muscle mass yeah because some people are saying that uh doing like diversity is, can be counterproductive in cycling uh, there's a lot of yeah. oh yeah you agree with that well i mean if you just like kind of just faff around at everything you're not going to be really good at one specific thing yeah but what about for example um a road cyclist that want to do cyclocross on his off season. Well, I think doing doing different things during off season is good. Yeah. Plain and simple, like you can't 
you know, be on peak and on form year round. Like, you know, mentally, physically, it's good to mix it up and do some different stuff. Yeah. Do you I think, agree. do you think that track cycling complements gravel cycling well or not really? And they're just both no, your thing. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> just fun. Just <laughs> fun. Yeah. I just like gravel, you know, it's a good community. Like it's kind of what I, what I started in, like going to, I went to gravel worlds, uh, right after, um, the record, like me and Christina flew back to Nebraska, um, and did, you know, one of the hometown gravel events. And it was just, it was awesome to see everyone there and like, see how, you know, kind of get back to the community and like, uh, get to, you know, go see some new roads in my hometown. And like, it was awesome, man. It was super fun. Yeah, I think gravel Ooh. cycling, the community gets that reputation of being like the, the, the nicer, friendlier, more inclusive brother of road cycling. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we were in no business to go out and do 75 miles. Like it took us like five hours, but <laughs> dude, it was fun. It was awesome. So yeah, in your training routine, um, you have gym and everything, mm-hmm. but is there anything you don't like in it? Um... Not really. I mean, I'm kind of like writing my own programming now, uh, which is, which is good and bad because then it's like, I only do stuff I like, but (laughs) you know, but I, I also just really like training. Um, so even doing like the shorter, harder intervals, like they're fucking hard, but like, it's also really fun and it's satisfying and it's, it's good to have the feeling of like, Oh, I did my workout you know, my workout today is only an hour and I got it done, you know, by 10 and then I have the whole rest of the day to do whatever I want with. So I don't know. I wouldn't say there's like a ton of stuff I don't like doing. Um, maybe stretching. I could probably do, I could stand to do more mobility work. I mean, I think we all could, but it's definitely, I don't, I don't like sit down with the foam roller and I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. Like I don't think anyone (laughs) does. Uh, is there yeah, anything okay. you cannot eat anymore because it's not part of your your strict diet if it's that strict no it's not that strict oh, okay that's important for me Good thing. <laughs> <laughs> the not having a strict diet is important i mean like being able to eat what i want basically. agreed it's really important for me too i stopped like, on a i yeah. had a long ride yesterday and stopped it in a little amish country store by our place and got like some pumpkin spice ice cream and i was just like oh my god this is so good (laughs) (laughs) totally worth it (laughs) it's like a little reward (laughs) well yeah that's cool though i mean it's it's nice that you i mean enjoying your training it really helps with actually like following your routine then in general i think also seeing results such as with the world record really just like exemplifies how important it is yeah, I think you got to have a balance, especially like, um, yeah, when, you know, it's kind of like a little bit more of a homebrew thing than like a world tour thing, you know, you gotta, you gotta have fun in the process. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's something difficult to balance for people if they make their hobby, their job. Totally. It is. It's a, it's a hard transition. Yeah. Mm. Can you tell us a bit more about your bike and maybe some specific pieces of, of your bike or gear that made, made this achievement possible, the, the record? Um, yeah. I mean, so I worked with Argon and Zip. So I had a, a handful of like, you know, main sponsors for the event. Um, like I've worked with Vittoria for several years. Those guys are awesome. Same with Zip. Um, and then Argon, I kind of got to know through my time with Hubwa bike, cause we were all on the Argon Rio frames. I mean, I feel like those are pretty iconic at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but then their new, uh, their new TKO frame is designed around zip wheels. Um, so that was something like zip was really keen to have happen because, you know, I've worked with them for years and they make awesome gravel products and they're like, Hey, we really want to get you on our track discs. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a huge upgrade. I was really excited for that. And then working with, uh, watch shop, you know, to get their extensions, the new crank, um, a lot of, you know, kind of smaller, shiny bits like that. And then 
you know, on the new Vittoria Pista Oros, their, their new lightweight track tire. Um, and then the suit was the other big one. Uh, I've worked with Vortec for the last two years and Hube for several years from the Hube Watt bike for clothing. And I mean, their, their suit mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible. It's like hands down the best skin suit I've ever worn. It's, it's quick. It's really awesome. As a pro, you can't feel the difference between a suit and another one? Oh, yeah. I would say that's probably the only skin suit where I put it on and you just feel like you're going much quicker. Wow. Okay. So, as you said, like Zip came on board for the wheels. You told me that that Argon frame was built around those wheels, yeah, right? because it has a super narrow front end. So, their front end is like, like 40 mil spacing. Like, that's how wide the axle is. Yeah. And it's through axle, right? Mm-hmm. So it's funny because I, part of the logistics of the trip was like the bike shipped from Canada and it was late getting here. So getting here to Montana, like FedEx was just couldn't get their shit together. <laughs> and so Christina came down the Sunday before the attempt with the bike and we had talked to Charlie and it was like, okay, can you build this bike? basically overnight and have it done, you know, in time for a track session at like 11 AM on Monday. And so he called me at probably like 9 AM on Monday and he was like, Hey, where's the front axle? And I was just like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? Like, Oh my, (laughs) out of all the pieces to be missing. And I was like, okay, well it would look really short. And he was like, you mean like this bolt? And I was like, well, I guess it's 40 mil long. <laughs> like it does kind of look, it looks more like a bolt than an axle. So yeah, it is really, really short. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's a 15 mil through axle. That's 40 millimeters long. That's so short. Okay. That's, that's crazy. We talked about that when we did like our, um, Olympic Tokyo Olympic episode with all the new super narrow front end, uh, of the new track bikes. And yeah, now our front hand and through axle is the new mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's cl- it's clearly out there and a lot of people are using it. Um, but I heard that you had to choose between tubeless and tubular. We talked about it. So that was mostly like, I wouldn't say it was a huge decision for me. It was mostly like talking with the, the advanced engineers at Zip and being like, hey, David, what's the fastest option? And then he just tells me. And I was like, okay, let's do that one. I think part of it was that, you know, 180 PSI is the fastest. Uh, So it was more of an issue of like, oh, you know, there's not really a tubeless tire that exists right now that you can pump up to 180 PSI without just blowing it up. Hmm. Um, So there's a little bit of technology catch up that needs to happen, but I think it'll get there eventually. Do you have a favorite tire? Do I? Yeah, if you have a favorite tire to use for track. Oh, the Pista Aura. Yeah. yeah. They must be like super thin. They are, but they're not as thin as like the, you know, some of the latex options out there. Like it's a really thin, really rapid tire. Um, but the fact that you can still uh-huh. ride it on the rollers is huge. Like, oh my God. And, oh, yeah. And that they're machine made. So like they're guaranteed to be round every time. Um, I think people get really hung up on like, oh, I need a handmade tubular. And it's like, you know who makes more mistakes than people? Like not many, not many <laughs> things, man. Like, you know, I trust a computer to make a perfectly round tire more than I would trust like a handmade tire. I think that's that's a weird, a weird hang up that somehow conveys like very high quality if it's handmade. Yeah. I I just Googled the tires and I don't think I have enough money to be looking at pictures of them. <laughs> 200 well i will say the pista speed is also a fantastic tire and that's a, a lighter weight tubular and that's what i rode for the first three attempts like this was the first time i'd ridden the pista oro or no hong kong was there was a hong kong nations cup earlier this year um i mean not a huge difference but a notice like a little bit of a noticeable difference but i mean you still get like i think it's like 100k on that tire that's oh, what they're wow, rated okay. for so i mean it's still a you, you get a good bit of life out of them. Yeah, okay, that's, that's fine then. They are <laughs> rated for 100 kilometers, and that's it. Yeah. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. 100 kilometers. I thought I was thinking 100,000. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. 100 <laughs> kilometers. Okay, but, okay. But some of the latex options are rated for like one race. Okay. And then you get a new pair. Like if you race in Madison on those, you're, you're toast. <laughs> okay. I think when we did the hour record, it said like that Eddie Merckx was using all of these special things and he had tires that could only be used for approximately one hour before yeah, falling apart. That's not that unreasonable, yeah. Wow, okay. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, that's crazy. I mean that's cool. I mean I can see why it'd be beneficial. I mean like the trade off of course, but <clears throat> I saw in an article that they were at the developdrome when you were doing the hour record, they were also checking your bike to see if you had like any sort of motor or me- mechanical tricks up your bike sleeve, <laughs> so to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. So right after I finished, uh, they took the entire bike apart. I mean, like took the bottom bracket out, took the crank arms off, like everything. Um, which, you know, yeah, they, I guess they just took an iPad and tried to look for a motor or something. I don't know. It wasn't like a scheduled thing that they had asked to do. It was just sort of, it happened. And I was like, Oh, cool. You guys oh, are helping okay. me disassemble my bike because I have to pack it. Thank so you. It's not, so it's not standard procedure at like UCI events or anything? I mean, I think they might like take a computer over it, you know, while the bike is assembled, but I've never seen them fully disassemble a bike before. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not complaining. Again, I had to pack it, so it was actually pretty <laughs> convenient. Yeah, next time, next time you already know, like, oh, just let the UCI do their stuff. They're, they're going to pack it for me now yeah just just pay someone to be like i, I heard some humming coming from the bottom bracket also the yeah, back I think, and the front. Uh, <laughs> I think there might be a motor in it you guys should disassemble this also pack maybe it, bubble wrap it too yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to send the evidence yeah 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 so that was a i mean that was a pretty huge challenge what's the next challenge what's next um yeah, I don't really know what's next. Uh, we've got some plans for gravel and like some other ultra distance stuff. Um, you know, I don't know that there's a ton of of track goals that I have left. Um, so yeah, I think next season for sure will be quite a bit of gravel and you know adventure kind of stuff. We're both pretty excited about that right now. Yeah. Anything else you would like to? Do you on the velodrome any other record you would like to break or maybe a championship? I mean, yeah, world championships at the end of this year. Like, I think I fly out in like a week or so. Um, so we'll be in Rebay for that. I'm pretty excited for those. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've always thought about the hour record, but I think it's still like it's too soon after the IP to be like oh yeah i'm gonna do the hour record in a month like you know i'm not gonna do the hour record in a month and i don't even know if i'll do it next year we'll see yeah but we've got like life stuff you know we've got a lot of things going on in that realm so i mean there's a possibility we could end up in like half a dozen different places within the next year between me and uh christina so we'll kind of wait for some of those plates to land and see what happens yeah Oh my god! It, I was surprised. It's it's gonna be in Roubaix. It's it's like yeah. three hours yeah, drive yeah. with the indoor track, the indoor track, not the outdoor one. I'll probably try to meet you there. <laughs> you should, man. It'd be super cool. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not definitely not that far. Okay. You can help us order in Fran- in French. I've heard the uh, that going to France like French people are pretty. It's I true. don't know. Aggravated if you don't speak French, they're like, "Oh, you only speak English." Like, fuck off. You're in France. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and if you try to speak French, they will tell you to fuck off. Like, oh, don't don't waste my time with your broken French. <laughs> and then they will come to your country and your country, and then they will try to speak French in those in those countries too. Wow. It's just the way they are. I've never Sorry been for. to France, so I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. Let's yeah, definitely do something. Nice. Uh, just just so you know, Roubaix is definitely not the cutest part of france uh it's actually pretty bad but the the, <laughs> Lille, the city just around the corner is pretty nice and there's some good place to eat so don't worry 
That sounds awesome. Great. <laughs> awesome. Cool. That that's a really good news. I was like, I knew the war championship were gonna be a thing, but I didn't know it was so close to to home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good thing. Okay, back to the show. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe a, a different kind of question. And have you ever had any major accident on, on the track or maybe uh, during like a, a gravel race or training? Um, I've had a few crashes on the track. Yeah. Um, like, oh, there was one where we were in Colorado Springs and that track can get kind of dusty sometimes. And so I was going up for a change and then just like my rear wheel slid out from under me and I went down track, but like slid down track instead of sliding into the track. So that was a pretty rough one because it's a concrete Ooh. track. Um, yeah. And then I guess just like riding outside, you know, I've been hit by cars a couple times. Um, but fortunately never had any like, you know, major, major injuries or anything doing, doing individual events. You know, there's not very many opportunities to crash in an individual pursuit. True. True. Yeah. Apart from, um, like gear failure or something like that. Yeah. Or, or if you catch someone like that happens too sometimes, but yeah. a few weeks back, we talked about, uh, the crash of the Australian team that happened during the Olympics. Uh, the the handover snap that was super violent. Did you did you yeah. watch any of the Olympics? I did. Yeah, we watched a little bit of it. Any yeah. any piece of gear or something that that you envy? You're like, oh man, I, I wish I could have that. Ooh, not really. I really like my bike. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand so. <laughs> I feel like I've got it pretty dialed. Like I like the way the Argon feels as if wheels feel great. Um, the cockpit, you know, I've ridden that watch shop Pentaxia one for a couple of years now. And I really like that cockpit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I like it. It feels good. Great. Awesome. Yeah. I think the, the Argon 18 is, I mean, it's, it's really, really good brand and they're making some awesome stuff. Yeah, they are. I believe the woman our record was broken a few days back and that was on an Argon 18 too. Mm -hmm. They're definitely making a name for, th for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in track. I mean, that's such a, an iconic frame at this point. Is there, is there a reason you're going with Argon 18 over like, um, an American brand? I try to just ride whatever's quickest, you know, <laughs> because yeah, because normally you can see like, Especially for like, it's like official UCI events, like the people they take, like French people, they ride on look and German people ride on FES, etc. But you just take what's fastest. So it doesn't really matter then. Yeah. That's, that's generally my, my motivation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair choice to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like I saw recently as well, uh, the, the European championships were going on for the track cycling and the saddle of one of the Dutch cyclists. I think he was mm -hmm. in a, I don't know what the event is called. Like the Koga. Yeah. The, the saddle broke, snapped. Oh, wow. That's tricky. I mean, yeah, those, those guys are big dudes. Dutch people are tall as fuck. <laughs> well, have you seen the sprinters? I mean, those guys are so good and they're like just absolute units. Like they're so huge. Yeah. And not huge, like chunky, like absolutely muscular. They're just, they're just ripped. Like the Harry Lefreise, he was just destroying everyone at the Olympics. And it's weird. It's weird. He's younger than me. I'm like, damn. God. One year. <laughs> yeah. They're so good. They're so dominant in sprint right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh God. Do you, do you ride fixed gear uh, outside the velodrome? You, you talked about his team roller. Um, no, I've got a, a, an adapter so that I can use, um, my track bike on okay. my tax. I've got a tax Neo. Um, and so I do that. I have a fixed free hub adapter, but I don't ride it outside. Like, you know, I don't have an extra set of training wheels or something. Yeah. No, I would, I would guess you don't ride your, your Argon 18 outside. <laughs> 
But well, and there are there also aren't very many like paved roads in Montana, in at least where we're at in Montana. So it's mostly uh, gravel yeah. out here. So it all makes sense now. Yeah, and it would be more of a surly steamroller kind of fixed gear riding versus like you're not going to ride out here on twenty threes. Yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah, so your your every day is kind of a yeah every day is Paru Bay kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very rough gravel. So if you were living out inside, like if you were living in California, for example, then you'd probably be more, more into road cycling with all the the pavement there and everything, right? I've thought about it, yeah, because I have like um, the guys at Affinity are big track guys, and so I actually have a stainless steel road bike from them. Um, oh. oh, the Anthem. Yeah, the Anthem. God, it's it's so cool, like. And I feel bad because I haven't gotten to ride it that much. Like I just, you know, even when, when we lived in Colorado Springs, like, you know, I would go out on the gravel quite a bit or like I would go out on the road and then I'd see a gravel road and be like, oh man, I wish I could ride that. But I just haven't lived in a lot of places where there's like every road is paved. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I really hope to get somewhere where like, yeah, we get to ride a little bit more road. That'd be kind of fun. It's fast. You got to go really, really quick. <laughs> you can cover a lot of ground, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like once the tire hits just the smooth tarmac, you just feel like you have to go 110%. Yeah. 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 It's just, you have to. <laughs> yeah. No, the, 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 I heard about the, that bike, the Anthem, and I was looking at the super light bulb they made on it with all the carbon parts and everything. Yeah, it, it looks like an awesome bike. It is an awesome bike. Would recommend. Well, I I asked him because I'd never ridden stainless steel before, and I've always been kind of fascinated by it. I'm like, oh man, imagine like, you know, the ride of a steel bike, but it doesn't rust. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the ride quality is great. You know, I'm. I think they make up for it because it's got a pretty aggressive geometry, and so you know, even though steel can be kind of flexy, like they've got good tube selection, they've got good geometry and like, it feels really snappy. It feels like a good race bike. So the steel on, on the Anthem doesn't rust ever. No stainless steel, man. Wow. Why, why aren't more, more companies doing this? It's very expensive. It's very expensive ah. and it's very difficult to weld. I think it's kind of the same thing as like welding aluminum, like, um, I think stainless is more expensive than aluminum and it's like the same level of difficulty to weld. Okay. okay. So everyone else just goes with normal steel and just like giving it like an ED coating or something. Yeah. And there's Good also enough. an interior coating you can do too, like frame saver. Yeah. If the guys of Affinity are listening to this, can we have another shot at the end and frame? Uh, <laughs> and uh, the track one, because when you guys released that one, I didn't have any money and I couldn't get it. And I really want one, but it's nowhere to be fine. You know, <laughs> I think the the, pro oh, much, the production was so small. How much is it? Oh, they don't make them anymore. No, they don't. The Anthem? Yeah, the, the track version. Oh, the track version. You know that oh. one that was painted blue? Yep. Uh, it was a cool bike. I wish I, I, wish I got one. <laughs> So the Affinity Road stainless steel frame set, seventeen fifty. I, mean, I thought it would be worse. Could be worse. That's not that bad. Worse. That feels pretty reasonable no. for stainless. Yeah, definitely. And it looked great. So you could technically you could paint it then as well in the wood rust. Or oh, I think you're, I, mean, I, I think you're right. I don't know if it's like the same. I know titanium is really hard to paint. Um, I don't know if stainless is the same way. Mm. Wow, it looks good though. I mean, I think with stainless steel, it's kind of like the same as with titanium. You don't cover the material. You just like leave it as it is. Yeah, that's also probably why people don't use stainless. I don't think titanium rusts either. No. Yeah. Wow, this is nice. I haven't thought about this bike since I first saw the article when, of when it was released. And now I'm like, damn. <laughs> don't. It's cool, man. It's right super cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Fuck. Okay, that's cool. It's the only rim brake uh, bike I still have. Yeah. Ooh. Interesting. Are disc brakes completely required when gravel cycling? Like, required as in 
if you're not using them, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. No, I wouldn't say it's that big of a problem. Um, it's more like, I don't know. There's just a lot of different scenarios you get into. And so it's like handy to have, you know, yeah. especially like if you get into mud, like rim brakes get clogged up so quickly. Mm. Yeah. And I guess you have, even with V brakes, you have limited tire clearance at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is really the new way to go. Yeah, it just makes a ton of sense. Sometimes you have like rim brake purists who are just like, oh, if you have the right, the right rim brake caliper and the right pads, it's the, even better than rim than than disc brakes. I'll never go disc brakes. But then I guess in situations like this, where mud and everything is involved, there's no other way around it. Yeah, I would also say that the gravel community in general is pretty supportive of like you know whatever you want to run. Like, make sure you have brakes, but like. You know, if you want to show up on a road bike and do it, you know, with 33s, like, that's cool. Um, <laughs> if you want to run rim brakes or disc brakes, like, that's fine, you know? Yeah. That's what I love about about gravel. It's like, people are pretty inclusive as long as you're trying to get on a bike, which is good. <laughs> Have you heard of track lacrosse? Yeah. Um, I know Chaz, Chaz Christensen and Nico Cabrera, I think is his last name. Um, those guys are both, uh, also SRAM athletes and the, I know those guys are huge on track lacrosse. <laughs> yeah, it, no brace. It's kind of the, <laughs> of the new thing and it's fun. I mean, track lacrosse is tons of fun. Have you done it? Is it big over there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really, really easy because it's getting easier by the day to find track frame that have wider tire clearance. Mm, that makes sense. And even with uh, an old aluminum track frame, you can usually nudge like a, a 32 in the back. And if you change the fork you can fit whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no track lacrosse is it's easy because it's cheap and it's tons of fun to ride a track bike where it sh it's never be meant to ride, right? Mm-hmm, right. Track lacrosse is awesome. <laughs> you should definitely try it if you have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I haven't seen any races except like way out on the coast, so I might have to keep an eye out for that. Definitely. Well, um, again, Ashton, thank you so much for coming. It is uh, our last question and the tradition to ask, is there anyone you would like to hear on the show? Oh, well, who have you guys had on the first 32 episodes? <laughs> well, we got, um, I think you're the first th track athletes. Fabian, correct me if I'm wrong, but. I'm trying to see if I can correct you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we had a lot. But we had uh, Chris Namba from Squid Bikes, for example. Mm. Uh, we had uh, people from Amy Danger. Amy Danger, people from the Physier Freestyle community. Um, yeah, we had a lot, lot of people. Oh, Aaron, Aaron yeah. Patton from Iron Rings, too. This is more like the, the non-pro version of Face Gear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like side. if you could get some of the guys or one of the guys from Speedwagon on, that'd be kind of cool just because we talked about it. Oh, or, that'd be cool. Or yeah. Oh, yeah. The, Lauf, the Lauf guys are super cool, too. That, that whole They're crew is They're based in awesome. Iceland, right? They are based in Iceland. Okay. Time zones, Paul. Time zones. Time zones, yeah. Sorry about <laughs> That's that. That's a pretty easy time zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fabian was like, can you find a guest that is approximately in our time zone for next time? It's like, yeah, I gotta think about it. <laughs> <laughs> this this was this was like 20 episodes ago, so this is not directed at you. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Yeah, time zones are hard, man. Yeah, they are. They are. All right. Uh, well, just before I do the intro, because it is the beginning of the month, uh, we're also going to announce the winners of this month's Discord community challenges. So this month's easy challenge was to complete a 200 kilometers ride, also known as a double century. 
The hard one was to do a no-handed wheelie for a minimum of 5 seconds. In total, 3 brave riders accomplished at least one challenge. Uh, and yeah, it was it was a hard, a hard one, so I'm not surprised that there's not that much people. And thank you Gifted Order for programming the bot that makes everything so much easier on the Discord. Everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog slowspinsidey.com. You can also find the suggestion box where you can tell us what we should talk about in the podcast. You can find us on our Discord server. The invite link is also in the show notes or with our Instagram account at slowspinsidey. You can also follow Ashton on Instagram at Bahama Longbottom. I am getting that right. Yep, it's Bahama Longbottom. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Um, as usual sharing the podcast with your friend is the easiest way to support the show over giving us a good review on the platform of your choice if you get value out of a show why not considering putting value back in either by supporting us on Apple Podcast with their new subscription program or by visiting patreon.com slash podcast to join the community we're pledging at any level of country access to the pre and after show which is around 40 minutes of extra content per week we are now at 25 Patreons. Thank you so much for your support. The music for the show is Lovely Swindler by Amaria, and the illustration well is, up, is by me. Ashton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it's been a blast talking to you about your new record, and hopefully um, I'll get to see you uh, in, in Roubaix end of October. Yeah, man, let's get some French food. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I'm excited. <laughs> we'll try to do that alright All right. we're gonna go on to the after show thank you so much everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next Monday bye bye bye